Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. My name's Tim. I'm the senior pastor here at the church, and if this is your first time with us, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Make yourself at home. Ten years. It's been ten years since our church started. Remember that day on the river? Remember that day on the river? Some of you were there. You were there with Lydia. That day when she and the girls were down by the river and they were dyeing the cloth, and this guy, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they came up and walked up to him. I mean, it was, I mean, we hear this story all the time, right? Every, every Sunday that we get together in Lydia's house, Lydia has to tell the story. But everybody's got a story. You've got a story. But Lydia loves to tell this story. So Paul shows up. This guy, this guy who speaks Hebrew, and of course, we don't speak Hebrew, but he begins to share with Lydia about someone named Jesus Christ. And you know Lydia. I mean, Lydia loves God. She just didn't, wasn't able to make the connection about how to connect with her creator. So this guy, Paul, shares with Lydia about Jesus, and then everybody gets so interested. And you know what? Then begins the journey. So she says, hey, Paul, you guys want to go back to my house? Teach me about this Jesus. Help me understand who he is. And bang, there we go. The church in Philippi, our church, began. By the way, has anybody seen, Phil, uh, seen uh, Paul? Anybody seen him around lately? Does anybody know where he is? He's only been here three times in the last ten years. I, I just, love, we love the guy. Has anybody heard from him? He's where? He's in jail again? I mean, Paul's always getting in trouble. He's always telling the story. He's always getting thrown in prison. And, uh, you know, that's, that's where I met him. I met him in prison. Well, at the prison. I mean, he, he and Silas had gotten arrested, forget this, for casting a demon out of a teenager. I had to ask, are you sure you didn't cast the teenager out of the demon so the demon could get some relief? But, uh, you know, they didn't think that was very funny, but, but I appreciate it. Um, and they came to me in a mess. Both of them, their backs, they were stripped. Their backs had been beaten, bloody. And the magistrate told me, he said, you lock them up and you make sure they don't get out because we're going to have a hearing tomorrow. And so I took them to the inside of my prison and I locked them up in the very middle where they couldn't get out. I put them in stocks and I took shackles and I just bolted it down to the floor. And I thought, there's no way these guys are getting out of here. Not on my watch. And so I went back outside. And as the night progressed, I heard this very strange sound coming from deep within the prison. Singing. Who sings while they're in jail? And it was Paul and it was Silas. They were praying and then they were singing what they said later was from their hymn book, this thing called the Psalms. 
singing with their backs beat. Who does that in jail? But I have to tell you, it was very peaceful. So much so I fell asleep. And then around midnight, we had this horrendous earthquake. It just began to shake and shake. And pretty soon I heard the jail cells creaking and the sound of them singing as they opened up. And I thought, oh my goodness, what's happening here? And then I heard the thud of the, of the stocks falling to the floor. And then I heard the shackles falling. And I thought, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to take care and chase down all of these convicts, not all of them. And I've already seen what they do to preachers. What are they going to do to me as the jailer? I'm not going to put my family through that. So I drew my sword and I started to fall on it when I heard this voice from deep within. Don't do it. Don't do it. We're all here. Paul. Paul. All of them were free. But you know what? I found out they were freer in jail than I was as a jailer. So I brought them out. I asked him, how can you do that? How do you live a life like this? You were free to leave. And they told me about this Jesus. And so I took them back to my home, introduced them to my family, my staff. We bandaged their wounds. We took care of them. And now, me and my family, we're a part of the Philippian church. Now, what did Paul say in the letter he sent? We're in our third week. I just did Acts 16 for you. So that kind of catches you up. That way, you know, thank you. That kind of catches you up to let you know the background of of this church. And uh, once again, while this church, uh, you know, Paul's in jail again, and he's writing this very personal, intimate letter to a group of people he really cares about. He loves them. And so we're going to make our way... Uh, through Philippians 2, 1 through 4 this morning. If you've got your Bibles or your app and you want to pull it up, we'll read this section of Scripture, and uh, then we're going to jump into it. You've got to fill in in your handout, and if you just want to follow along, it just follows each verse as we go through it, each part, so that you can take it with you, maybe talk with your family or one another afterward or in your small group. So let's just read. Let's read the text, and we'll pray, and we'll jump into this. Philippians, that's over in the New Testament. It's a very short book. Philippians is called that because it's written to the church in Philippi. So these guys are called Philippians, these folks that are in this church, of what, which Lydia, her friends, the jailer, the girl that was demon-possessed, all of these are members of this church. What an eclectic group. So let's start here. 2 and verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. Father, I ask for you to breathe life on your word this morning. Uh, Jesus, help me with this. Give me the gift of teaching. Uh, This is your church. This is your body. Just like the letter that you wrote to this church, Lord, uh, this body, then you're writing this to us this morning. 
And so we ask for you to speak to us. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I work through my weakness and let your word come alive in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, first I want to point out this. Uh, did you notice all the ifs at the very beginning? Therefore, if you have any encouragement, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing, if any tender, tenderness. When we read that word, uh, we're, we're like, well, that means he's questioning it. Like, is there any? But that's not what he means here. This was a saying that they used to make a big point. It would be like me saying this morning, if there's any sand on the beach, if there's any water in the ocean, get it? Which there is, right? So that's what Paul means by this. This is just a saying they had during this, uh, this culture, during this period of time. And so let's start this with the way Paul starts this because this is about relationships. This is about relationships in a local church. How people should get along. Where are the resources? What should they do? And how do we start? How do we begin in having good relationships? Well, you've got a statement that's up front in your handout. And and, uh, I, I just wrote this down. Good relationships with others begin with a good relationship with a good God. Good relationships with others begin with a good relationship with a good God. That's where Paul begins. It's, have you ever found yourself short of resources with people, like people you relate to? You have run out of any resources to try to reconcile your differences. You have, you have run out of it, the energy. You've run out of facts to bring. You've run out of anything to try to bring that person closer or for you to understand. Well, Paul says in this church, when you deal with one another, remember this, the resources you have begin in Christ. They don't begin with your own strength. They don't begin with your own wisdom. The church is different. The church has a different resource, a different pool to pull from. Listen, church, if you're not in church, you don't have to, you don't have to deal with this, all right? You are free to go at it with each other, all right? But we in the church have been given a mandate from God and the ability from God to do this thing well called relationships, to do church well with one another. After all these years of being a pastor and seeing so many things and so many broken hearts and misunderstanding and disagreements in church, I still have a, a glowing and just convicting hope that the church can be everything that Jesus wants it to be. I believe that with all my heart. And that's what I want for this church. I want us to be a Philippian church. And so I want us to hear these words today as they're spoken to Philippi, to the church there for us in Myrtle Beach. If we're going to have that relationship that transcends our own resources, our own ability to even understand one another and get along, we have to start with God. We have to start with a good God, one that loves us and cares for us, one that has a heart that looks at us when we're the worst ever and says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Sometimes we have to pray that with each other, don't we? We got to look at each other and go, Father, I forgive them because they don't know what they're doing and evidently maybe I don't know what I'm doing either <laughs> in this. So, so Lord, help me. You know, I'm going to pull from the resource of that same pool that you had when you were on the cross and you looked out at this earth as screwed up and just fragmented as it was 
Disciples scattering all over, not together, not unified. And you looked down and you brought them together and you changed the world. That's the resource the church has. That's the resource you have if you're a follower of Jesus in your life. So we start with that good relationship with God. Therefore, if you have any encouragement, and here's the first resource that we have uh, from God. Paul states three things here. This is A in your handout. Encouragement from being united with Christ. Encouragement from being united. That's that, that word like unity pulled together because in the church, unity is such a precious thing. It's easily fragmented. And so Paul says, look, there is unity in Christ. When you came to Jesus, you became one with him, right? And the body is one together. So he's saying, if there's any unity, which there is a, you know, the Trinity, take that for example, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit work together as one. Is there any unity in Christ? Answer? Yeah. You know, they've never had a falling out, right? Never. They work together. And so Paul reminds this church, there is a resource for you, Philippians. And that God knows how to do unity. He knows how to do it well. And so we start there with our reconciliation to God and being united to God, our Creator, through Jesus Christ. That is the beginning. For us to try to do this miraculous work of relationships in the church without that, it just won't happen. It's not going to happen. And we'll see, as we get on into these four verses, we'll see why it's so tentative at times. Encouragement for being united at Christ. Paul is saying when dealing with one another, remember what Jesus has done. Remember what it's like to be forgiven, to be accepted, to be brought close. Because in our relationships many times, that's what we don't do. We push, right? We respond two ways, silence or violence, (laughs) right? We either clam up, we don't talk, or we diss each other, talk about each other. That's, That's actually violence, you know. Silence or violence. And God says, Paul says, look, Jesus didn't do that. That unity that you experienced when you came to him is available to you. Secondly, he says in verse 1, here's another uh, resource that we have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love. Comfort from his love. Literally, solace of love. Have you received any love from Jesus Christ? Have you received any comfort through Jesus, through his love? Have there been moments in your life where nothing could comfort you? Where you were just totally distraught? And suddenly the presence of God shows up with his overwhelming love. And the love of the cross pours out on you in that moment. And you feel the comfort of God in a place where there is no comfort. That's the resource the church has. Paul says, don't forget that comfort. Remember the times that God's love has comforted you wherever you are and and whatever you've been through. When we're dealing with one another, remember the love that's comforted you because you have that same love in you so that you can comfort others. The same love. It's all starting with our relationship with God. That's why the minute we start having our times, and we are going to have our times, 
Doesn't mean anything's wrong. Means we're humans, right? Means we're human. It's how we deal with it. When those times come in the church, we draw on the resource of God's love, of the unity of God pulling us toward Himself, forgiving us His lavish love on us. In Romans 5, 5, Paul says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That same Holy Spirit that was with Jesus and empowered Jesus to do all that He did on the cross to forgive others is in you as a follower of Jesus. That same love is in you. But boy, when our emotions start kicking sometimes, that's not love we feel, is it? <laughs> you know, then it's the time to stop and go, okay, I want to tap into that love, God. I want to tap into that comfort. I don't want to tap into that unity with you. Lord, let your love come. Let me get a taste of what you do with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus, Father. How do you guys get along? And let that love pour out of my life. C is that common sharing in the spirit of tenderness and compassion. God says if there's, Paul says, if there's any common sharing in the spirit of tenderness and compassion, have you ever received any tenderness from Jesus? Have you ever felt his tender touch? Have you ever felt his compassion? You ever been so ridden with guilt that nothing could take it away from you and heal you but the compassionate touch of a loving Savior? Do you remember that? Do you remember what that was like? That compassion that flowed into your life? Well, it didn't just flow in. It's meant to flow out. It's powerful. It's the same power that God has given us to show to one another in the church. That's where we stop. And when I stop being compassionate and I stop caring because my feelings have gotten hurt, because I feel threatened and I'm not handling this the right way, I stop and I go, Jesus, you have poured out your compassion on me at times and right now I want you to pour it out on me again. I tasted it and now I want to be a vessel of compassion as well. So help me. Help me, Lord. Help me show tenderness and compassion. Literally, it's like a heart of pity or... Show tenderness. It's the bowels of mercy. You ever cramped up? You've been hurting so bad for someone. I don't mean like you got ate something bad, you know, not that. But, you know, like, like you're hurting. You've got a loved one, somebody you really care about. And all of a sudden, this wave of emotion just floods you, and you begin to weep, and you start cramping. That's the description of God's love for you. Is that awesome compassion feeling compassion. And God has given that to us through Jesus for one another. That would change everything. That would change doing church. (laughs) You know, if we tapped into that resource with one another. Tenderness and compassion. Your second Part is this, good relations, and Paul begins now to tell the church in Philippi, here's how you, here's how you guys should sustain your relationships. First, you've got to start with your relationship with God. 
You need to, you need to understand that there's encouragement there. Remember the encouragement that was poured out to you. Remember the comfort from His love. Remember that common sharing of compassion and tenderness. You need to start there. Don't forget Jesus. This is not just another club meeting. This is the body of Christ. This is the place where Jesus shows the world who He is. So you have resources that aren't available to others. You have resources from Him. Don't forget that. Start there. But then he moves on to this. Good relationships are sustained by, in verse 2, by being like-minded. Now he moves into the practical, the practical area of how a church... Because evidently in Philippi, there was, there was some kind of friction. We don't know exactly what it was. He does mention two people that maybe he says they need to get along, but he doesn't specify what's going on. So maybe there was some, you know, there was some disagreement in the church, but uh, he doesn't go into detail but we're not sure. But he says, look, you have to be like-minded. Now, what does he mean by being like-minded? That is, set your minds on the same thing. And let me ask you this. What is the main thing? Come on, Vineyard. What's the main thing? Jesus is the main thing. There is nothing more central to the church, to any church, than Jesus. He is the main thing. And Paul is saying, look, see that you're like-minded in your belief about who Jesus is. Be sure that you keep that in the forefront of your relationships. Whenever you have a chance to, and you're, getting into, you're making decisions or there's a little dissension or there's a little disagreement, bring it back to the main thing. You know what brought us together in the first place? Jesus. That's why we're here, Jesus. So what's he up to? I love Jesus. You love Jesus. What do we do next? Someone taught me a long time ago, that when you get in, you get in uh, situations like this, uh, three good questions are, what do I want? What do you want? And what does the relationship need? Those are three great questions to ask. And if I know that centrally that Jesus is the center of all we do, that's the job of the church is to keep Jesus central. That if we're all on the same page with Christ, then we can start to deal with the other issues. Paul says, be like-minded. Now, there are other things that, you know, we need to agree on and all, but nothing is more important than that. And that is that we all agree that we are gathered together. This church is birthed and the purpose of it is is to let people know about Jesus Christ, to show his love to others. And as long as we can agree there, I think we can, you know, we can get through some dicey stuff together as long as we can appeal to Christ. And see, we always can. We can always stop and go, okay, Jesus, you brought us together. You are the senior pastor. You are. You said it was your church. You'd build it. All right, now, come and pastor us right now. We want what you want then maybe some of the emotions can die down and then we can start talking and understanding each other's hearts and try to find what God is doing. Now, I'm not so... I've been around a while. Hey, what did that mean? Somebody... Andrew laughed. (laughs) Yeah, he's been around. Let's see. Were you there in Philippi when that church started? I think you were. (laughs) But I've seen all manner of good, bad, and the ugly in church. And I still, as I said earlier, I still hold this desire 
to see a church really be everything that, it, that God intends for it to be. And that means relationally too. This church is the closest I've ever been to it in almost 40 years of doing this. And um, I still think God's got more for us. I really do. Good relationships can stand the test of most anything if Jesus is central. If Jesus is central. So being like-minded, that is keeping Jesus the focus. And secondly, in verse 2, he says, by having the same love. Having the same love. What kind of love is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the love that Jesus has. Look, like over in Mark 10, 43, where he said this, Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. A servant's heart. Having the same love to serve, to serve Christ, to say, What can I do to serve what Jesus is doing here now? What can I do? How can I contribute? What part do I play in this? Having the same love, having one spirit and one mind, having the same love for God so what? Loved the world, right? That he did what? Wanted his own way? He gave. That he gave. So love begins... And I don't remember who told me this. I got it in quotes. But love begins with someone else's needs are more important than my own. And I'm not talking about sick codependency either. I'm talking about an ability to be able to put others first because you love them. Now, I want to say, some of you who have been married for a while, you know that's the truth. Because when you first fall in love, it's chemicals. You are under the influence, dude. You are under the influence. It's chemistry. It's chemistry. I mean, beautiful chemistry. God-ordained chemistry. The gift of chemistry that your body, when you see her, you see him, and you're attracted, and you're going, wow. And it just drives your life, and you just want to be with them. And and then four years later, you're married, and, and, and you're going, what was I thinking? And it's like, you know, all those things that were so cute now just get on your nerves. It's like, I didn't know he was going to do this forever. But you know what happens? What happens is then is when love is built. Because that is when we begin to prefer one another over ourselves. And love becomes tangible. It becomes real as we build by loving one another more than we love ourselves. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, church, Jesus came. God loved you so much that he gave. And the church should be doing the same thing. It should be a testimony to giving ourselves to having the same love for one another. See there is also by being one in spirit and mind. Verse 2, being one in spirit and mind. Now, again, this doesn't mean everybody's robots and we're all, you know, like some cult or something. The word literally means harmonious. And I like that word because harmonious means that there are different parts, right? But they're playing together. Harmony, harmony is when what? You have first, second tenor, soprano, baritone, bass. You have all of these parts that are being played and sung, but they work together in harmony. 
What do we call it when harmony is not presence? Present? Dissonance. It's like white noise. You know what I'm talking about? It's when a note... I wish I had a guitar in my hand. I'd show you. But it's when a note doesn't... When you feel yourself go <laughs> like that, you know, and the note is hit on the piano or on the guitar or someone's singing and they, like, get one-third of the way there. <laughs> it's like it just doesn't quite fit. That's dissonance. But Paul says harmony. The church is meant to sing in harmony. It's meant to, yeah, everybody has their part. and Everybody has their gift. But Philippian church, when you come together, sing it together. Be harmonious. Be harmonious in spirit and in mind. That is your feelings and in your thinking. Because it's a wonderful feeling when you're working together, right? And things are getting done. The, the International Cafe, all of these international students, I don't know how many, 280 in here Tuesday, I think. And I was like Tuesday after Tuesday, bicycles after bicycles. And I mean, I'm looking at that and I'm watching our team work through this in harmony, one after the other, just taking care of them. I'm looking at the hospitality team. Things are working together. I look at the outreach team. I look at the worship team. I look at our staff and I see people just working together, different parts, singing, and the beautiful music of Christ is being sung to the whole world and to our community. Paul says that's the church being one in spirit and in mind. And then he moves on and he says, there are, there are ways that relationships go bad. Good relationships become bad relationships when we, and this is A and under three there, when we do things out of selfish ambition. Verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition, literally against others. Do nothing against others. Do nothing in rivalry. Like competition in the church. Rivalry and pushing back. And uh, everybody wanting their, you know, it's come together. Don't do that. Don't, don't do that because that will destroy relationships when we operate in selfish ambition. So Paul tells the church, you know, in Philippi, when you feel yourself moving into that, grab it, pull it back to that unity with Christ. Grab it, pull it back to that compassion and that tenderness, especially the unity that's in Jesus because it's all about him, right? What he wants to get done here. So pull it back. Not your selfish ambition. It's what God is doing here in Philippi with this group. What is he doing? What does he want to do? Pull it back in. And um, evidently they had something going on here where there was a little bit of a subversive agenda maybe starting to sneak its way in and Paul was trying to deal with it there. So do nothing out of selfish ambition. And B is do when we do things out of vain conceit, it hurts the church. It hurts its relationships. Vain conceit, that is empty glory. (laughs) Empty glory. This is a a Roman Greco word that meant those who think too highly of themselves. You know, it just can't do without me. You know, this is... Mine, oh mine, you know, it's like it can't, it, can't, it can't succeed. So it becomes this vain conceit of my, it's not what God wants anymore. It's what for me, about what I desire and what I think it says about me more than what God wants. Do nothing 
out of vain conceit. Galatians 5.26 says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Don't let that start. Dear Philippian church, don't allow your egos to separate you from the cause of Christ or from one another. Don't let your egos get in the way. Keep the main thing the main thing. So relationships in a local church go bad when we do things out of selfish ambition, when we do things out of vain conceit, and C, when we do things for ourselves rather than for others. When we do things for ourselves rather than for others. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. Well, that is the rub, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, that is the rub, because we all like our way. I like my way. My wife teases me. She says, you always think you're right. I said, it's hard living with someone as gifted as me, Karen. Just, just not too many people who are right all of the time. And I know that it's hard for you to believe that, but it, it's my burden to bear. And now you have to bear it. Yeah. Did you know the most important person in the room is sitting next to you right now? You guys are scared to look. Go ahead and look. It's like, <laughs> who's sitting next to me? I thought I knew who was there. I was like, go ahead, take a look. You know, look around. Who is it? Take a look. You know, and next week when you come back, the most important person will be sitting next to you again. When you go out in a few minutes and get something to eat, the most important person is going to be sitting next to you. The church, that's the way the church is built. It's built for 200 years. The church was known for its serving. It was known for its laying its life down for others. It was known for its giving was known for that and that's the way the relationships were so tight and so strong during those early years of the church N.T. Wright says about this passage in the Philippians he says they are to perform the extraordinary feat of looking at one another with the assumption that everybody else and their needs are more important than they themselves are and it is an extraordinary feat one that has to have the power of God, that has to have Jesus working in our lives for us to live it out. And it all boils down to this, doesn't it? Number four, your last fill in here, it boils down to this, that good, godly relationships are empowered and sustained through humility. Humility. And that word and the understanding of that word in the culture of Paul's day was not understood by the Greco-Roman world at all. They thought that was a weakness. The strong survived. Those who could climb on top of anybody else, that was who should lead and that is who should be there. And those were the important people. Humility had nothing. That was not a good quality at all. That was a weak quality. But Jesus comes along and says, Hey, if you want to lead in my church, if you want to be important in my church, there has to be a measure of humility and servanthood. In your life, I was sitting in my truck yesterday and thinking about humility, and 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 the thought occurred to me that you can't be humble by yourself. (laughs) I mean, we can sit in our truck, you know, and go, "Man, I sure am a humble guy." (laughs) 
But, I mean, really, it doesn't mean anything, does it, until you're with someone else? Or, and by that, I don't mean letting people walk on you. I can't preach another sermon on what that means. But you, it means preferring others, right? And when the church does that, when the church comes together and it keeps Jesus the main thing, and we all decide that that's where our focus is going to be, and we submit ourselves to that, and we submit ourselves to working through our relationships with the power of God, with a servant's attitude, there is no limit to what a local church can do. Let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.